Hello and thank you for joining me. I'm Josh Davis, the pastor at Winfield Community Church. First and foremost, I need to apologize. Uh, my, my attempt to release on Mondays and Fridays every week uh, was unsuccessful this week. I was under the weather earlier in the week, so I didn't get anything out until today. I'm feeling much better. I don't know that I would have been able to string together a coherent thought earlier in the week. That being said, the question that I'm trying to tackle today is a pretty deep one and required quite a lot of intent and thought going into it to try and navigate our way through on a basic level of understanding, but also something that kind of speaks to the heart of the question. So I'm going to attempt to do that today uh, and get this out to you this evening, and then I also plan to record something tomorrow as well. That being said, my list of questions is running a little short, so if this is something you enjoy, then by all means, please email me, text me, call me, uh, let me know your questions, and we will dive into them together. But here today, the question is this, how do you know that the Bible is complete and inerrant? That's a toughie. In the world that we live in, our age, we are in an age of information. Any question you have or topic you want to discuss, you can jump on the internet with any device readily available to you, and you can research either side of an argument or topic that you want to find the answers to. So, for example, I believe the Word of God is both complete and inerrant. And looking it up, it was very easy for me to come up with different reasons why the Word of God is complete and inerrant. Uh, it was very easy for me to discover that. But I try, when I'm answering these questions, to get the answer from an, a standpoint of not understanding. I'm not trying to prove my point. I'm trying to get to the root of the question and really understand it. So the difficulty with this question, I let me start with this. First of all, the Old Testament, is that's an easy one to answer. Why do I believe the Old Testament is complete and without error? Because there are many, many resources that you could find for the Old Testament, even before Christ walked the earth, where the Jews used our, what we consider the Old Testament, as Scripture. And then when we see Christ on the earth, Christ himself uses those scrolls and Scriptures. He quotes out of those same prophets and different things. So Christ viewed the Old Testament as Scripture. So the Old Testament is relatively easy. Now, when you ask this at face value, a lot of people will pull out Scripture to answer that question, like, uh, I want to say it's... 2 Timothy 3.16 that says the Word of God is God-breathed, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and righteousness. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it says something like that. And a lot of people will pull that out and say, well, the Bible says. And yes, kind of. I get that. I understand that, and I believe that. But when Timothy or Paul sat down and wrote Timothy they weren't necessarily considering themselves to be writing Scripture. They were writing a letter. And so 
when it was written in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God or inspired by God, what exactly was he referring to? He certainly wasn't referring to the very letter he was writing. So what exactly was he referring to? So the first question we have to really begin to discover is what's what constitutes Scripture? Where does Scripture come from? And the theological term that we would use is a, a Greek term. It's canon. Look that up if you don't know what that means. But we're going to be talking a little bit about the canon of Scripture. And I already mentioned the canon for the Old Testament. Many, many uh, both biblical and historical references that will give you the evidence to show that we have the Old Testament considered Scripture because it was considered Scripture hundreds of years, even, before Christ was here. So we have that. So then, where does the New Testament come from? Well, the New Testament, we consider certain things Scripture because they were written directly by the apostles, right? So Matthew, Mark, John were all apostles, and when the apostles sat down and wrote a gospel, that's what we considered Scripture. Uh, Paul, we also consider an apostle, uh, and so all of the writings that we have of Paul's, we also consider Scripture. That leaves room for a few other authors. We've got Luke. Luke is a big one. Uh, Luke and Paul are probably the two biggest authors of the New Testament where people could take issue. So let's talk about them for a second. Luke authored both Luke and Acts, and when he sat down and wrote them, they were one text. It was, you know, I don't, I don't understand why when they put the Bible together they called it Luke and Acts. Uh, they should have called it First Luke and Second Luke because Acts verse the first verse in Acts picks up where the last verse in Luke leaves off. But nonetheless, Luke authored those two books. So why do we consider Luke scripture? Because Luke was not an apostle. Luke did have firsthand testimony of the apostles, but he was not himself an apostle. Well, Luke is quoted by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, as scripture. So the reason we consider Luke and Acts Scripture is because other Scripture refers to Luke as Scripture. So he uses the term Scripture to talk about the book of Luke very shortly after the book of Luke had been written. So it's important to understand that that is how the author Luke made it into the canon of Scripture. Now, Paul, the next question is, well, how did Paul, you know... It, it, if we're talking about the apostles, the twelve, the, the, the apostles, what makes Paul an apostle? And it's really important that you understand this. Paul, even though he was not numbered among the twelve, he did not walk at the same time during the ministry of Christ with Christ. If you look into the history of Paul, you will understand that Paul was trained directly by Christ and was commissioned directly by Christ to be an apostle. And that's why so much of the New Testament is Paul's writing, because he was a founder and he was absolutely an apostle. So the New Testament we get uh, from writing of the apostles and writings that the apostles referred to as Scripture. So that's kind of how canon is put together. That's how we get the Bible, the 66 books that we have. Now, the first thing that is important to really uh, 
begin to unpack, I guess I've got three different things that I want to talk about here, is that inside of a hundred years of the death of Christ, these books by the early church were all considered scripture. If you go back and look historically uh, at all of the different local churches and the, the early church movement in in the ancient time, in the in the first century, a lot of archaeologists have discovered that a lot of different theologians of that time and a, a lot of different churches of that time were actively using all 66 books as scripture. So there is a mountain of evidence to show that it wasn't, you know, 300 or 400, whenever the councils started to meet, that wasn't what determined Scripture. Matter of fact, like a lot of people want to go back to the Council of Nicaea, a couple different uh, people who have put together canons throughout history, and a lot of people think that it was just this group of people got together, they would go home and study the Word, and then they'd come back and do majority rules votes. That's really not what they were doing. What they were doing is historically looking at what was the church already using as Scripture? And if the church was all in agreement and using it as Scripture, then that's really what determined that it was going to remain in this book that we now call the Bible. A lot of that was done inside of the first hundred years of the first century. Uh, it was not something that took place several hundred years after Christ died. The official canon was put together a few hundred years later, yes, but I'm just letting you know that during that time frame, they were already actively using these letters, these books, and these texts as Scripture. It just had not been compiled into one full, solid book. So that, if you are of the evidence party, that's the evidence I would point you towards. Go home, do some research, look online, and check out. Uh, there are many resources, just historical. It doesn't even have to be a biblical or Christian resource. There are historical resources that will show you these texts being un un uncovered archaeologically during time periods as, as near to, I want to say, 100 A.D. is some of the earliest uh manuscripts that have been found that people were actively using within their churches as scriptures. The second thing that I think is important for us to understand is the the difference here, and, and this is difficult to really convey, but I, I'm going to do my best. There is two different terms that we use. And a lot of times we think those terms mean the same thing. We use the term Scripture in reference to the Bible, and we also use the term Word of God. I think it's important to understand that 100% of the Bible and Scripture is the Word of God, but the Word of God is not 100% of the Bible. Let me continue to expound on that a little bit so that we really can understand what I'm trying to say. If you were to categorize Scripture, it would be all God's Word. But if you were to categorize the Word of God, 
it has not all been written down and made into a document that we can read. For example, the Word of God speaks to me as a human, as a person. God himself, through his Holy Spirit, speaks and reveals his truth to me. That is not the written Word of God. That is the active Word of God in my life through his Spirit. The Word of God has done this for thousands of years. When God speaks, that is his words. That is not always written down and made scripture. So it's important to understand though there is a difference there. Now that being said, we're only talking about the Bible. We are only talking about scripture. So how do you know that the Bible is complete and inerrant? Well, we have to understand the, the doctrine of inerrancy. So what is the doctrine of inerrancy? The doctrine of inerrancy, or infallibility, the doctrine that the Bible is without error or without fault, does not necessarily imply that God didn't leave certain things out. Contrary to that, actually, God himself tells us in the Word of God that there are certain things, mysteries, that he will leave out. Uh, Deuteronomy 29.29 is one of my favorite texts as a scapegoat text. When I don't have the answer to something, it says the secret things belong to the Lord. God himself has informed us that we don't get 100% of the information. So, if God says the Word of God is not 100% full, everything we're ever going to know, then how do we assume the Bible to be complete and without error if we know that there are certain things that we're just not going to know? That is where the doctrine of inerrancy comes in, and we need to understand what that actually means. The doctrine of inerrancy is basically this. It is stating that the Bible, in its original form, when it was first penned, its original text, its original form, when it was written down, it was written to completion. That is, to complete the goal that the Bible was intended to complete. All right? We need to understand that. So the Bible was written for a very specific purpose. God inspired his people to write a document for a very specific purpose. And when we are talking about the doctrine of inerrancy, we're not talking about whether or not God has told us everything we'll ever need to know or everything we'll ever get to know. We're not talking about whether or not there are certain contradictions between colors or well, you know, there are inaccuracies within timelines or certain things. Books will list things one way and another book will list it another way. We're not talking about those types of errors. We are talking about inerrancy when it comes to the purpose or the goal of Scripture as a whole. And that purpose, that goal, is to put into the heart and mind of mankind the truth of God. So if the Bible is written for the purpose for me and you to understand the truth of God, then when we begin to look at it from that perspective and understand it from that perspective, 
the different things that come about with different authors having a different take on it no longer become contradictory, but rather complementary. And that's what's so unique and important about the Word of God is that the things that a lot of people will divide over and, and separate, well, this is a contradiction to that, and, and I, I mean, even things that are splitting churches, God is not intending them to be divisible. They are not intended to be things to split over, but rather things to unite in. And we have... For whatever reason, in our culture and in our world, we have chosen to split over those things. That's where we get these different uh, doctrines and theologies. We understand it to be different things. God is not saying any one or of those is right or wrong necessarily, depending on what we're talking about here. But he is saying all of those things are working together in tandem to bring people to him and to show people the truth. Well, what is truth, right? That's, that's the famous question of Pilate. That is such a great question, and I actually have the answer for you. If you read in the Bible, this is, uh, it's called the High Priestly Prayer. It's found in John chapter 17. What an amazing chapter of the Word of God is John chapter 17. Jesus Christ himself is heart-wrenchingly advocating on behalf of his disciples and all Christians to come. And he is beseeching the Father God on our behalf. If you've not read John chapter 17, stop what you're doing right now and go read it, because it is amazing. But about halfway through, we come to verse 17, and, and Jesus says to the Father in prayer, he says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus Christ is saying, what does the word sanctify mean? It means to set apart, to make special, to make whole, to make perfect, to make complete. Sanctify them. He's talking about us. He's talking about you and me. Sanctify them using your truth. Your word is truth truth. So the goal of Scripture is to make us complete, to teach us truth, to build us, to make us whole. That's what Scripture is there for. So when we're talking about the inerrancy or the completeness of Scripture, or both the completeness and inerrancy of Scripture, it is important to understand here is why it's complete, because A, everything that is in there is for you. It is for you to be made complete. That's why it was written, and that's what it does. Number two, the inerrancy is that nothing in there will contradict that message. There is no part of Scripture that will ever tell you how you can never be complete. Every page of that book is pointing to Jesus Christ and your ability to be complete through Him. That is why Scripture in its original text, 66 books, written by many different authors, but inspired by God himself, is without error and fully complete. And if that hasn't sold you on the inerrancy of Scripture, I'm talking to Christians who are struggling with this. Non-Christians, I'm sorry I can't help you, uh, this is not even a conversation for you. Until you can come to believing faith in Jesus Christ, I, this will do nothing for you. But Christians, 
In our world today, there are so many Christians that are struggling with the completeness of Scripture, the the inerrancy of the Word of God. This is what I want to leave for you. How did you get saved? How did you get saved? You, You believed. You believed that Jesus is the active Son of God, that He was born of a virgin, and that He died on a cross, and that three days later He rose from the dead and eventually ascended into heaven, and someday is coming back to retrieve His bride. You believed that. That's how you got saved. Nobody proved that to you. There was no video recorded evidence of that. Sure, there were testimonies of witnesses that saw him after he rose, and maybe that's what won you over, and that's fine. But uh, the reality of it is, if you're going to take their testimony that Jesus was walking around again, then you ought to be able to take the testimony of the churches that were using these books as Scripture prior to the canon being put together. But the reality of it is, you came to Christ, you came to salvation through faith. You believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That's how anybody comes to salvation. So if nothing else, why do I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? I just have faith. I have faith that the Almighty God, who created the world in seven days, was somehow able to maintain the integrity of the book that He wrote for us. I have faith that the Almighty God, who sent His Son to die for us and then rose Him up from the dead, has the capability to maintain the perfect accuracy of a perfect book. I believe that. I don't need evidence. Sure, have I found evidence? Absolutely. But I don't need evidence. I believe that the Bible is without error. Because faith is what's required for Christians. And so when God says, my word is truth, and when the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration, I just say, okay, I believe it. Jesus Christ himself, in uh, Matthew 5, 17 and 18, talks about that not a jot or tittle will be removed until all things are accomplished. Well, Jesus is speaking to the fact that he is going to hold fast the integrity of Scripture until all things are accomplished. Well, it's not all been accomplished yet. And so I believe that. I have faith that he did that. The great thing about faith is you start with a seed, right? You you start just by getting saved. And sure, when you get saved, it's just, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I struggle with some of these other things, right? I struggle with how did he perform miracles or how did he do this or how did this happen? But I have faith that he died and rose for me. And then I don't know as a young Christian how God's going to work certain things together for good for me, right? But as life goes on and I become a more mature Christian, I have faith and that faith proves itself and becomes the evidence of itself, and that faith builds itself, right? So my faith in Jesus started when I was a child, just saying, God, I want to not go to hell, pretty much. I want to go to heaven and be with you. And that's where my faith began. But now my faith is such that 
I want to be with him daily. I want to spend time with him regularly. And I want to see him working in my life two, three, four, five times a day. And I see him actively working in my life. I didn't see that 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But I see it now because my faith has built itself. Well, the same is true for Scripture. When you begin to say, okay, I'll take this little leap and say, yeah, I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And then you begin to uncover what that really means and what was Scripture intended for. And if if it was intended for this, and inerrancy means that it's not ever going to err in that goal, then what's it intended for? Does it err in that goal? And the more and more you place faith in that, the more and more it will reveal that truth to you. The more and more you will see the the fullness, the completeness, that everything that I need to live a life in godliness is completely encapsulated in these 66 books. And the more and more you begin to understand that, you see that, you receive that through the Holy Spirit, the more and more easy it is for when somebody asks you, how can you believe that the Bible is complete and without error, for you just to say, I just believe it is because I've spent time with it, I've understood it, and I know it to be true. I know that this is not in, I don't know, 20 minutes now, anywhere near doing this topic justice. I know that. But I also know that there are a lot of people that are struggling with what is truth in the world that we live in today. And this much I know. I know the Bible's true, start to finish. I know there's nothing wrong with it. I know there's no error in it. I know that it's the breathed-out, inspired Word of God. And I know that if you're searching for truth, that is where you will find it. Thank you for listening with me this evening, uh, and I will be excited to talk to you again tomorrow.